That is how you press record. Jesus Christ, what is wrong with me today? Um, it's clearly been a long day. It, <laughs> I woke up at 7.30 and it's not been like, you woke up at 5, so I really can't talk. You worked or anything? <laughs> no, I just, it was just a long day. Okay. I just feel like I'm just like complaining now for no reason. That's all right. Um, Welcome to the counselling session. <laughs> This is the Things We Do podcast, a podcast about film, life, television, mental health, culture, and all of that fun, jazzy stuff. Today, I've got my friend and special guest, Danny Barton. Hello, Danny. Hi. Thanks for having me. No worries. <laughs> God, I was... <laughs> In my ears, that was like the most sensual, like, opening to anything. It's just the way that I talk, man. <laughs> <laughs> You're having way too much fun with a microphone in front of you. <laughs> Well, usually on my podcast, the microphone is on a table like 10 metres away and I wonder why people whinge about sound. <laughs> <laughs> so so tell us first, before we get into a bit about you, what's your podcast about? Right. Okay. My podcast is called Actors Making It and it is effectively a podcast where I'm having conversations with um, emerging artists, whether yep. that be uh, actors or filmmakers. Um, effectively people that are trying to make it in the industry um, and talking about mental health and trying to keep yourself motivated and in the right headspace to make it as an actor. I think all too often when it comes to acting type podcasts, the interviews are always with celebrities and people that have already made it and you're not really hearing about the graft. You're not hearing about the people that are spending, um, working three jobs that are deciding okay do i go to acting class tonight do i spend my money on rent so that i can go to an audition yeah you know and i think there are so many young people that that wake up one day and go i'm gonna be an actor and they don't know what what that actually means and what it takes to get there because i know people that have been trying to make it as an actor for 10 20 years and they're not i mean they're still working hard they're still working in hospitality and they're still grafting to make yeah. it so effectively it's just kind of this is a very long-winded answer i'm sorry I, I like it it's effectively just a podcast with conversations with actors that are trying to make it and talking about how yeah what it is that they're, they're they're going through and hopefully it resonates with people like us who are also trying to make it because i yeah. think while we know the reality of what the industry is humans are inherently insular and think about themselves and think about I'm the only person going through this and everybody else must be doing better than me that we compare ourselves to other people yeah so if this is something that people can listen to and go can I swear on this one please? yeah <laughs> and people can go oh fuck it's not just me <laughs> like thank fuck yeah there is somebody else that yeah. is experiencing this I don't want to break down a script yeah I don't want to work on a scene i just want to slob in front of the television not even think about acting but does that make me a bad actor does that mean i'm not an actor um that's kind of the purpose and and what it's all about and i think it i like the sound of that because this is kind of also like mine's not just about like film and stuff but it's very similar in vain like um no we didn't copyright each other we did not (laughs) steal each other's ideas um but yeah i feel like that's very true because when we're in the forefront and especially there's always this comparison of different ages. And I really dislike that because someone said to me quite recently that I was like, you've met so many people who have made it. I'm like, what do you mean by made it? Like, what's your version of made it? Yeah, I was literally going to say that a second ago when I when I started saying, you know, I know 
someone that's been working in the industry 20 years and I was going to say they haven't made it. But then what what is making it? Yeah. Um, and I think that's really profound because we often think that, oh, you have the right gear. You have There was a great tutorial I saw, um, which was of a camera operator said, I've got a $300 camera. Make, I can show you how to make this look like a, like a $3,000 camera. And all he did was light the room. Mm-hmm. And he was like, that's all you have to do. You just have to know what you're doing with the gear. Yep. Because the moment you understand that, you can make it look like you're a million bucks. Yep. But it's it's that understanding of, you know, it's all these little things that we need to understand. That, But also not put ourselves on this pedestal that is like up here. Because I realized, I, you know, 2020, the year of everyone's like inclusive nature, I discovered that making it was having fun and remembering what I was doing was for the art. And it was for my own enjoyment of that um, that kind of stuff. Yep. Yeah, profit's great. But it really is. But it's not <laughs> always financial. Like, in, people are not always going to be like, here's money. Like, no. people, you know, the art is a completely separate thing. And I think that's kind of what people don't really realize. Yeah. But there's got to be some sort of give and take. You've got to always be like compensation and, you know, you do me a favor, I do you a favor. Kind yeah, of like deal. I guess it really depends on what your goals are, right? I mean, for me, making it, if I look at what my yeah. um, definition of making it is or what I, what is making it for me, can I say making it anymore? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, cuss plug, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> is effectively that I'm able to sustain myself financially yes. only through make, uh, making yeah. art, whether, that, you know, whether that's acting or podcasting or whatever. If I'm in a creative field and I am able to pay my rent and still lead the luxurious life that I lead that would be ideal yes that is making it to me yes so that I don't have to go and do a nine-to-five corporate job five days a week um and welcome to the real world I know which (laughs) but but, I mean I'm I'm very lucky I mean I'm very I have it a lot easier than than many people that are trying to make it um I have a very well-paying job that is a day rate contractor. I have a lot of flexibility because I've worked my way up in the career and I can, if I have an audition, I just go and I do it and I don't tell anybody and I get I get it done and I come back. Yeah. If I have to take a day off because I'm filming something, then I go, I'm not coming in tonight. Yeah. Because they don't pay me if I don't work. Yeah. So I have it very easy, which is as much as I whinge about the fact that I don't want to be doing corporate life. You know, yeah. I'm a single man living in a massive apartment in Potts Point. <laughs> Living a luxurious alone, life, living a luxurious life, and still chasing the acting yeah. dream. But in saying that, then I have these moments of, "Well, oh, fuck, am I doing the right thing?" Yeah, because you know, I'll listen to one podcast or one, or I'll, or I'll listen to one person that says, "You know, if you really want to be an actor, you've got to go all in, and, and you've got to focus all your attention attention on that." But who has the money in the bank to do that? Clearly rich people, but not us. No. But no, I agree. <clears throat> and I think I know from a young age that financially it was just got implausible to pay people. Because one of my friends even said this to me, you are not a you are not a business. And you do not have that which he went meant in a compliment because he was like I was trying to make all these projects and just was so financially unable to do them because you know people wanted to be paid mm-hmm. and i'd have to be like oh i can't pay you and they were like oh then i'm not interested and it was just that whole idea of getting people's interest is sometimes either they love the idea 
or they're interested in getting paid. And like, I've met a lot of close friends through doing that. But it was very interesting where he was just like, you're not a business. You can't like, you can't just go into your savings and, and make a short film and then hope that profit will come back to it. You can do that occasionally, but it's, you got to think about it financially. Mm. And that I think was the biggest kind of like, oh, moment. Well, um, actually, I, I mean, I, I don't disagree with him, but I disagree with his analysis of yes. you're not a business. Yes. Because you have to think like a business and you have to think about what is the return on investment going to be. Yes. So whether you are going to make a profit right now or profit later, I mean, most businesses don't make profit. No. I mean, usually that's a lot of fancy book work, but <laughs> most, you know, a lot of businesses don't make massive profits. No. Especially in the first however many years. But anyway, that's by the by. I think whether even as an actor, like as an individual actor, I have to look at myself as a business. Yes. And anyway. I'm just, no, I, no, I disagree no. with your friend. I, I, <laughs> I like I agree with both sides of mm. because I think that's actually very true. Like, as um, as an uh, as an individual, we always need to be like, what's our benefit? What's our profit? What's mm -hmm. it, what are we going to make from it? Yeah. And one of the things that I remember saying, like when I was in film editor, the one thing I used to I sort of like do short films and help friends with short films and edit stuff. And I just remember got to a point that was like, well, this is not, pro you know, because people won't pay me the rate that obviously film it is and buckets because it's quite a laborious job. But um, yeah, people weren't willing to pay for it. And they weren't even really willing to pay like even a couple of hundred to be like, oh, or just give you a case of beer or something like that. Just that it's funny how often the gesture, which I think was a training I had when I was very young, which was if you get someone to do something for free or nothing, you compensate them in like, food or mm -hmm. like you always go hey guys you're gonna get food on the day because you're doing me a massive favor yeah and nine times out of ten that doesn't happen like it's amazing how often that mentality um doesn't cross people's mind and i think that's a real kind of um devalue mm. of you as an individual and that's why i think um, or anyone as an individual, because as you say, we are a business and we are giving our services, mm. whether that's through gear, training, or anything like that. I mean, it's really it's really interesting, isn't it? Because there aren't many industries or professions in the world where people would expect you to do shit for free. No, at all, N never. <laughs> I mean, they won't be operating very long. Can you imagine if you go to a cafe and be like, "Oh no, we can't pay you guys. Um, can you just get abused by every customer?" And then at the end of the day, um, just go home. Like, exactly. fuck it, that. It's ridiculous. And I think that there is this, um, there's an inherent expectation within this industry because people want to make it, yeah. that they will do stuff for free yeah. because there is this promise of the elusive exposure. I and, hate exposure. Well, I can't fucking pay my rent with exposure. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, it's... But when you look at the, the whole concept of return on investment and start looking at yourself as a business, yeah. um, if you look at yourself in that way and, and you then take a different lens to every project that you're potentially going to work on. Yeah. So like now, I mean, I've been uh, act, on and off. I've been acting in some form of performing since primary school, but only yeah. seriously got into TV and film acting in the last, what year, 2021? Four years, three, yeah. four years. And I did all the student film stuff. Yeah. And obviously all the student films are like, exposure, exposure. I'm like, what exposure? It's a fucking assessment. What are you talking about? Who are you yeah. exposing me to? 
Your student, your teacher. But I didn't. But I didn't think about that at the time. I was just like, oh yeah, I've got cast as something. Yeah. Um, and it was very exciting. And none of those things ever went went anywhere. They didn't put anything on. Um, you know, there's one so far that's gone to a film festival, which wow. is fantastic. Um, which is which is interestingly the the last one that I did last year, or the second last one. I only did three. <laughs> one of the ones I did last year, uh, student film. But now I've got to a point where I've got a contract. Yes. Um, and I pro- I don't really put myself into student films anymore. But whether it's student or um, independent, I now provide them with a contract saying, I, my expectation from this is an IMDb credit. Yeah. You will provide me with footage. And if you don't provide me with footage, then you will film something for me wow i like that everybody signed it wow um whether it's you know professionally film a scene for me or something to get something out of the time because i mean it literally without this isn't a, a humble flex it literally costs me the best just just under a thousand dollars to take a day off work that's insane so if i'm coming to work for free yeah. for you on your project I sure as shit want something out of it. You don't have to pay me. That is that is a decision that I'm making. Yes. For my career. But there has to be a benefit in it for me. There has to be a return on my investment, which is yeah, a decent chunk of money. Yeah. So can I can I just say I ultimately respect that because that's that's like one oh one. It's basically just one oh. It's n- and that doesn't sound like arrogance or anything because. That, that just sounds like self-respect. Well, yeah. Yeah, which I think a lot of people misconstrue that to being like arrogant. It's like, no, that's bullshit because self-respect is something where you put yourself first and you go, well, if you're not going to do this for me, here's, you know, like I knew one friend who had also a similar clause. She would get everyone to sign. She was a makeup artist and she gets everyone to sign various different, like she'd add clauses if someone, you know, found a way to get through one of the clauses. So she changed the contract to the next project. And so constantly updating it. But like with you, it would always have this, like, you have to do these things yeah. at the contract and I can sue you or do whatever. I mean, it's never going to get to that. Let's, no. It will get to that. <laughs> uh, it's never going to get to that really. But I ju- But for me, it's just an opportunity to let these people know that I'm serious about my career and I'm, yeah. and I'm, I just want you to take my investment seriously. A hundred percent. That's, I, I've got no arguments with this. <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very on board with this. Um, though changing topics. Let's change let's, topics. Let's, let's do a deep dive into who Danny Barton is. Deep dive and, into Danny. Um, so Sounds like a bad porn film. It, <laughs> if it's your porn film, I'm like that. Um... So where did it all, where did all this begin? When did it, where did, cause you talk about doing acting seriously in the last four years, but primary school was kind of when you found. The, yeah. That, what kind of fell you into this world and everything? Um, you know what? I, I don't, I've thought about this a few times that I, I don't think that there is a particular moment or thing that put me in this direction of, of acting or yeah. performing. Um, I, I grew up moving around a lot. My mother, um, moved me and my brother and siblings around a lot. Like put it this way. I went to 14 primary schools, five twice, 
five high schools, two twice. So that's how much I moved around. As a human, because I moved around so much, I didn't really make many friends. And Mm. as a person and as a, you know, a little kid, I don't, I felt invisible. Like I didn't, nobody saw me. Um, And so I think I remember getting involved in some kind of amateur dramatics in primary school where I had, where there was a drama teacher and there was, I don't know. I don't even remember. Like we did thriller. We did, we did dance to thriller at some performance at yeah. school. Um, but the, a, the adrenaline of doing that was super exciting to me. But at the end there was a round of applause that was like this instant gratification of being seen and being noticed. And somebody's people are excited for something that I just did. Yeah. Um, so I think that is probably what triggered stuff for me um, okay. or, st- or got me into that space. And then I'd just done um, mainly drama in in primary school and high school and just in some way or another. Um, in high school, I was – I did drama. hated the theory stuff. Still hate theory. I fucking hate studying. I hate studying. Um, I was, I was the most talented, uh, in Queensland, they don't do A, B, C, D, E. They do, uh, VHA, which is a very high achievement all the way down to a, VLA, oh, yeah. all the way down to a VLA, which is a very low achievement. Uh, I was the most talented VLA student he'd ever taught. <laughs> <laughs> Practically, I was great from an acting perspective, but applying myself, um, theoretically it was, not, was not what I wanted to be doing. So I did drama and then... I did theatre festivals okay. um, in high school. So in year 11 and 12, I stayed in the one high school, mm. um, which was great and very much needed at that point in my life. Um, so I did some theatre festivals where I won um, Best Comedy Actor in one and Best um, Actor in a Minor Role in another one. Wow. Um, which, again, was like, Oh, I'm being noticed. I'm being seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which was awesome. And then I did a musical um, in my oh. final year of high school, which was fun. Now, it was <laughs> it was a musical, but it wasn't a musical. No, okay, it was a musical. Everybody was singing, but it wasn't like Cats or right or what, it, it was a it was called a room with a review. So it was effectively a musical that had a um, score of different songs from multiple musicals. Yeah. Um, which was good fun. Um, and my solo song in that was Vilcommon from Cabaret. Um, oh. and it was all, it was the opening act of opening number of act two. Um, and first act was so fucking boring. Everybody was always like falling asleep because it was stuff like singing in the rain and oh. like, do you hear the people sing? And like, yeah, ugh, boring stuff. And then I get on in cabaret in these with my bleach blonde hair when I had hair. Um, for those of you that can't see me, I'm bald. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, no shirt. 
rainbow suspenders, black pants, oiled up with glitter on me. Oh, wow. Coming out, singing this like Vilcommon, and I would walk down into the audience and um, like rub myself up all against the old grannies in the front row and they'd get all excited. And <laughs> so that, that was kind of like my introduction to acting and stuff and then all, all, all performing outside of school. Mm. Um, and I, at the end of year 12, I, I auditioned for the actors, con- Brisbane Actors Conservatory, okay. um, which I got a place in, mm. but then I think it was like a, a, a term into that, a term or two into that. And then I decided to move to the UK. Wow. So, and I was 18, so yeah. jumped on a plane, moved to the UK, uh, now I tell myself that I was moving there for acting, but it was kind of for a guy I met online as well. <laughs> That's another story for another it's day. It's spoken like a true person. Like. <laughs> uh, but it's always for a guy. It's always, always for a guy. <laughs> Look, um, I wear my heart on my sleeve. <laughs> There's the Ocker accent right there. <laughs> um, hang on, back to regular sensual programming. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, and then I moved to the UK and I didn't really do that much acting when I was there. Yeah. Um, you know, I was young. I got, um, it was the first time I'd ever lived out of home. Wow. So I was just exploring life as an adult. Um, and I oh, went through all, t- I'll stick on the acting train for a minute. <laughs> Uh, because that's what the question was. <laughs> I feel like it could go off the rail. It very could quickly. very much go off the rail. Um, I got a, I start, I, I got a job in a call center, which, and I was in this company for six years. Um, and I got an agent, but it was just an extras agent at the time. Yeah. But at this point in my life, I didn't really understand what I had to do to be an actor. I just was like, I want to be an actor. Yeah. That's what I want to do. But I also, I want to eat and drink and party and be a typical 18, 19 year old guy um, because I didn't really understand. Um, And they would call me and I got some extra work on Hollyoaks and Brookside and a commercial and stuff like that. Um, But they would call me all the time and I would be like, I'm really sorry, I can't do it because I've got work tomorrow. So I got to a point where they were like, we're really sorry, we're not calling you anymore. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I was like, okay, what do I do? How do I do the acting now? I need money in the bank because I, I, I thought, oh, actually, no. Then I went to university. Yeah. We already know how well that's going to go. <laughs> I don't like studying. Uh, I got a year and a half into that and quit. Uh, well, it was a performing arts degree and I don't really give a flying fuck who wrote what 20 million years ago and why they wrote it. Really don't care. I just wanted to act. It was the wrong thing for me to do. Um, and then at that point, I'm like, okay, well, how do I... How do I get into acting? Yeah, what, yeah. What am I? Yeah, what do yeah. I do? Clearly, I can't have a job because I need money. Blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah. Like, right. How about I move, change careers into a job that earns lots of money, and then I can like save money, and then I won't work for a year, and I'll follow the. Oh, nice. Dream. Okay, yeah. That was the goal. Uh, so I moved into recruitment, which traditionally makes a fucking shitload of money. Yeah. But I moved into recruitment in um, January 2008, which was the beginning of the recession in the, <laughs> U- <laughs> in the UK. Um, so that that plan didn't, <laughs> didn't really go to plan. <laughs> so it's like just colossal down here. Like Pretty much, like. yeah. Um, so I worked in the UK for, um, sorry, I worked in recruitment. Now I was, I was, sorry, this is quite a few years later. I moved in 2001. Yeah. Started in recruitment in 2008. 
Wow. Okay. Um, so you were there quite a while. I, w- I lived in the UK for eight years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I never thought I was going to come back to Australia. Um, and then lost my job in recruitment because of the recession and then came back to Australia. Right. Okay. Um, which makes sense. <laughs> and then I didn't really do anything with acting for a long time. I, I went to Darlow drama and did their level one foundation class. Oh, okay. Well, they wouldn't let me do anything else without climbing their fucking ladder. <laughs> I'm like, I already have acting experience. It doesn't matter. Everybody has to start at the foundation level at Darlow Drama. Okay, great. Thanks. Um, and that was full of... Now, everybody's got to start somewhere. <laughs> but I feel like the people that were starting there were people that had never really spoken in public before. And it, was, right. and it felt more like a this is an opportunity for people to learn how to speak. As opposed to an acting class, right? Okay. Um, anyway, it was a good experience. I got on. I got on stage and did a monologue, and my boyfriend at the time and flatmate took the piss out of me because that's just the type of people that they are. Right. Um, and then that was that. But I remember sitting down. Sorry, this is a very long answer. I, you keep looking I, at the thing. I'm sorry. I, I'm just like every so often I'll just glance at how long he's talking for and I'm like, perfect. Just keep all of it in. Uh, well, I'm telling you how I got you, to where you, I am you, right now. You do. <laughs> I'm answering your question of how I got to where I am right now. I respect uh, it. <laughs> and effectively, my my boyfriend at the time and I would go to the theatre a lot. Yeah. And when I go to the theatre, I get like this feeling. Like I love to go and see the theatre, obviously, and, and see the story and the yeah, play yeah, and whatever. Yeah. But there is a part of me that gets super excited but imaginative of what if that was me on the stage? Uh, I wish that was me. I wish I was up there doing that. And yeah, I would get yeah. super excited. But it would just make me feel so happy. And my ex says to me, I don't understand if this makes you so happy and this is what you want, why you are not working in this field. And I'm like, well, first of all, I've been supporting you through fucking four years of study. But. <laughs> um, <laughs> Please tell me that was your first ever thing I do. <laughs> no, that's just what was in my head. Uh, anyway, so then I was like, yeah, you're right. Why the fuck am I not doing this? Yeah. Um, and then I went and investigated. Did a, I started applying. I've got a Star Now account. Started applying to stuff. Got a short film through AIT, I think it okay, is. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, called Clean Hands. I was Bob the Cleaner. <laughs> it was some of my finest work. As, as Bob the Cleaner. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> uh, I was terrible. I mean, it's like, it was my first, it was also my first proper yeah. acting role in a short film, like TV. Because everything that I'd really done before was theatre. Yeah. And I hadn't really done any education around TV and film acting. It's a very different beast. Well, very, very different. Uh, and then I started at ScreenWise. Did a year there. Oh. Um, did their show Real Course, which was what it was. And um, It is what it is. It is what it is. It was what it was. I don't I don't use that show reel anymore. Um, but I met some beautiful people. Um, yeah. and, and since then, I've been like really in the act. Like really trying to make it, yeah. uh, so you know, seeing classes and I've done since then. I've probably done ten or twelve short films. One or sorry, ten or so short films. Did my first feature this year, second feature next month. Oh, awesome! Um, so it's it's kind of coming and another short film already under the bag in the bag this month this year. Um, 
So it's com- it's coming together now, which is great. And yeah. you know, I think that a lot of the a lot of people don't realize that obviously it takes a very long time. The people that make it really quickly, like they either know someone or are the child of someone. Oh yeah, I know. You know, it's it's it, it's selective. It's so selective. Um, you know, but most people take ten plus years to get yeah somewhere. Yeah. Um. So this is me now, three or four years in, starting to feel like I'm getting somewhere. Um, which is great. That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, that's anyway. <laughs> that's my very long answer to your. I like it. Though. Deep dive. Well, you did ask for a deep dive. I did ask for a deep dive, and I do love a deep dive answer. Um. <laughs> No, and I think that's very, like, it's interesting because a lot of... Sorry. <laughs> All I heard was ice just landing really harshly in my ears. Um, what I what I do think is really cool, though, a, a lot of what we, you know, goes back to making it. It's always, it always comes around to making it. Um, is it's just, it's those little things, but it's also just pushing yourself yep. into it. And I think, um, yeah, it's like I remember when I wanted to be an actor, I kind of like fell out of it and did behind the scenes stuff. So my journey was a little bit kind of like, oh, I want to do this. Oh no, I'm much more interested in the tech side and becoming, and also it was like, for me, it was a personality. It was just kind of like, I like to be this host and this bombastic person. But a lot of the time I was like, I don't want to pretend like I'm someone else. I just want to be a bombastic version of uh, myself. That's more of a performance than anything else. But I think with, with all that, it, it, that drive is commendable because that's kind of like a lot of people would just automatically go, Oh, I've not done it for ages. And then just forget about it. They'd, they'd leave it to the wayside. Yeah. And I think the fact that you always kind of came back to it and found your way back in it and then just went, you know what, I'm going to really push the brake. Um, well, push the accelerator, push the gas, real, push the gas real hard <clears throat> and then go straight into it yeah. is, um, is, you know, a really good mentality. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure, as I said before, I, I'm sure I could go further into it. Yes. Um, but, you know, as I said, I want, I want to remain living alone. Um. Do you hear that all single man out there? <laughs> he wants to remain living alone. <laughs> I don't want to share my space <laughs> for a while with uh, anybody but my dog, Kevin. Look, Kevin uh, is the special, the special person. He's the chosen one. <laughs> um, but I look ultimately, especially now since I've got into more film and TV stuff. Yeah. It's my happy place. It's where I feel happy and excited. And like any time I'm on a set, even I mean, I'll be honest, I don't put, I don't always put a load of prep work into the acting work. No, but I, 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 I mean, it depends on, on the thing, but yeah, but I get on set and it just, I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm on set. I love this. And like, you know, you're doing your lines and you're getting into like, you're having banter with the sound guys and you just, it just, it's so great. When I'm sat at my fucking desk at work, I'm not like, oh my God, this is so good. I'm loving my life. It's like, oh my God, why am I not acting now? Yeah. So it's like the complete like drive of doing you know the arts and the, the the just being yeah in that presence of other people do you do you find with with also just being like with the difference between theater and film what do you kind of enjoy about film now that you're kind of getting more into it as in acting yeah is or... in acting but just also the like the mechanics of it all because they are very different mechanically yeah um 
I think, as I said before, like for me, theatre, there is an instant gratification. Yeah. Like the the actual technicalities of acting is is obviously very different. Um, you have to know a fuckload of lines yeah. for, you know, what, depending on the play, 30 to 30 minutes to two hours or, or yeah. whatever. Um, and you've, you've got to remember that and not let yourself be affected in the moment. If you, if you fuck something up, you've just got to keep going. Yeah. Um, but what I love about um, the, TV and film or screen acting is, you know, you're not, you might not be feeling it immediately. Yeah. Um, but I love the playing and trying different things and getting yourself to a point where you're in that zone and you're yeah. giving a performance that moves people. Ultimately, I want to move people and make people feel something. Um, but I, but I guess also the the other really beautiful thing about screen acting is editing yes you know i mean i could have i might not be and i had this in acting in acting class on monday night for the life of me could not get through this entire fucking scene because there was this one line that i kept going haywire over which was from the west wing and i could probably do it now it would be perfectly fine um but the beauty of editing is you know if the first half of one take is amazing and the second and the second yeah. half of another take is amazing, the editor can meld that together and make it look like, oh my god, this person is an amazing actor, um, which I think is really exciting. Yes, the edit the editors make us look amazing. This is where I come in. I do a <laughs> wonderful job. Um, no, I think that's also true because I never put anyone into a category of you're a bad actor anymore. No, and I think I used to. Yes, but. I've I've now learnt that there's not I mean don't get me wrong, there are people that cannot act and shouldn't act. <laughs> I would I would agree with you. <laughs> However, when it comes to you know, if we look at I don't know, some mainstream stuff, right? Home and away, whatever. Now, some people would look at home and away and go, That is terrible acting. Yes. When you're comparing it to Ozark or yeah, you know, the but Crown also, or something like that, but it's a particular format, yes. and it's I, you know, they get I don't know three takes to get something, and it's and it's fast move around, so you're yeah, not, it's like a half there's hour. There's no opportunity to get in there, and you know, a lot of it is down to, as I said, the editing, the actual dialogue, and the directing, yeah. right? And and yes, an actor is responsible for choices that they make, but there's sometimes they don't get to make choices. No. And Home and Away is one of those very structured, you have to meet these requirements. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, let me just caveat this by saying that I don't think that everybody on Home and Away is a bad actor at all. Uh, <laughs> don't come for me. Um, <laughs> I have heard people say, I don't want to be on Home and Away because... Yes. Like, the act, it's, not, it's not great acting. Like, yeah. I've literally heard people say that, but... There is. I think. I think it goes the same though for Neighbours, and it goes the same for any of those, um, you know, long shows. running series. Long running series. I think it was like, um, you know, there's certain shows where everyone's like, "Oh, I'd love to be a part of that show," or "I'd love to be a part of this show," mm-hmm. but it's generally as a one-off character or something that was like, "Oh, just it's like the B, the the show that everyone's kind of like, oh, it's so much part of legacy." Like Doctor Who is one of them where, mm. like, I think every British actor under the sun has been in it. 
um, whether it's been like a f- really super duper famous person who would have earned a million dollars and just does it for 50 bucks. Like I think it was, um, it's so, I think one of the most interesting stories I ever heard about acting was from um, actor called Peter Sellers. Um, and I think it was Peter Sellers. Um, and he was in Wallace and Gromit. He played Wallace from Wallace and Gromit. First ever t- time the guys made it, stop animation, and he was like, I don't have a huge budget. Here's 50 pounds. Do you mind voicing this character for a day? And he said, well, I can earn more money than this kind of like easily. But sure, this looks like fun. So he did the voice. And then years later, that became like a household name. Mm. Like that whole show you know, became a family, friendly, lovely story. But it's fun stuff like that. That realistically are you know are weirdly our price and value. It's always about quality over quantity, and I always look at Home and Away and Neighbors as quantity over quality, sure. because that's what it is. It's a it's a not very interesting stories, but they're just trying to make something that so mm. there's they fit these requirements, and also it's something to do with Australian. We've got to have a certain number of Australian content, and that is meets that requirement sure. as well. Stupidly. It's still a business at the end of it's, the day. Look, doesn't it that make... It all comes back down to business. Doesn't that make you sad? <laughs> um, but no, like, how do you find with the... Also with the toxic culture of it all? Because, you know, Home and Away and stuff like that, you know, don't necessarily always have a toxic culture, but they are probably more known for having a very strategic and harsh culture than other shows but sometimes you know not always the case they're very professional how do you find with toxic culture in in terms of like people on set and you know hearing it is changing like a feel but it, um, there's still a little bit of the old way of you know i don't know if i'm really in a position to make comment on that to be completely honest with you because i've not okay. i've not personally been exposed to any type of toxic culture that's great in this industry yet but I haven't been on professional, sorry, professional is the wrong word. I've been on independent and short yeah. and, and student type stuff where it's like the in the film that I did in January um, with Joy Hopwood was so beautiful and absolutely not toxic. Um, she was so grateful for everybody being there and she paid everybody. Wow. Like... It was my first paid acting gig, and I think I did like four hours work, and I got fifteen hundred bucks. It was like, wow, this is ridiculous. What's going on here? Um, Who are we? <laughs> what? I don't get paid for acting. How dare, how dare you pay me? <laughs> uh, but it was it was a, it was a wonderful experience. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I've not, I've, I, I haven't yet um, had the opportunity to work on actual, you know, Stan Netflix yeah. series or anything like that Whether. yet. Yet. Where there may well be some kind of toxic, it's not environment, but I, I, I don't feel like I can comment on no. on it because I've not personally experienced it. Which can I just say that's a good thing because it has happened on indie indie sets. It does happen. It's a lot less now, but indie sets used to be kind of where you'd hear a lot of like when I started doing that were still quite a toxic kind of culture. Right. Um, and you'd go to set and someone, you know, someone would be late and everyone would be like, no, nah, they're awful. And, you know, you're like, guys, we're all here. Like there's traffic, there's bad traffic. Sometimes you're just going to be late. Mm. Like they've let people know. And they said in a text, sorry, I'm going to be 10 minutes late. 
Yeah. Cool. No worries. We'll work around that. Mm. But some people just made it out like the you know they would always constantly attack each other. So I I don't like that attitude where it's yeah. like, oh it's, look, I've heard of it. Uh, yeah. a, a very good friend of mine. Um, I won't name his name. Was had his first extra gig recently yeah. on a very big budget film filming in and around Sydney currently. And as that an could extra, be a multitude of as an extra, he was treated terribly. Yeah, they didn't like he was there from six a.m. They didn't get fed till four p.m. Um, he had to wear this costume that if you didn't put it in a certain way, then part of the costume couldn't be put on. So ah. the costume people had put it on in the wrong order, and he said, "Oh, hey, I think you need to put this on first. And she literally yelled at him, being all, "This is." this is my job, don't tell me how to do my job, blah, blah, blah. And he was just like, look, I'm just, like, you're just going to have to take it all off again because it's wrong. Wow. I don't think you need to talk to me that way. And she was like, ah. So, yeah, I, I mean, I know it exists. I just haven't personally experienced it. Which is good. You know, sorry for your friend. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait to discover what that film is. <laughs> the audience will never know, but I will. <laughs> um, but no, I think, I feel like um, when you were growing up though, did you find that the, you know, because how old were you when you came out, especially? Like, um, Well, I was zero years old when I came out of the womb. No, okay. <laughs> uh, okay, well, I came out to my mum, I think, when I was 17. 16, and, okay. 17. And was that like, um, was that kind of easy to do in terms of like, you know? I mean, the mental hurdle to get to that point was... Not easy. Yes. Uh, but the actual event was a complete non-event. Oh, okay. My mum was like, yeah, I know. It's about time to tell me. I knew ages ago. I'm like, oh, okay. How? She goes, well, you know, I was a little bit worried that you were suicidal. So I went and spoke to your guidance counselor and he said, no, I think he's just struggling with his sexuality. And I've just been waiting for you to tell me. There you go. That was, and that was that. Well, it was a good thing she checked up and gay ever ever since. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> but I mean, like, I was always kind of like thinking because the community, the acting community, is pretty open about most sexualities. Like, let's hope so. Um, but that's not always not always the case. No, it was something that that was very much in my mind when I wanted to become an actor. I was like, yeah. I don't I don't want people to assume I'm gay. I want people to assume that I'm heterosexual. Um, I, if I want to make it in acting, I can't be out, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, but there are too many people that I've slept with for me to ever be in a closet. <laughs> <laughs> Forever, for anyone to, God, the shit that could come out if I ever actually make it. Uh, yeah, it's like all the scandals. No such thing as bad publicity. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lord. I think for me, it was because I worked in a very different field, coming out was especially hard. Sort of that whole idea of like, you work in a tech field, you work in, you know, with a lot of techs. They were normally straight people. Mm. So it was like the idea of anyone being not straight was kind of taboo. And also like, but it was always kind of funny because all the people I dated, they were just like, no, you're not straight. Like, it's quite obvious that you're like bi or you're curious, like just kind of work yourself out. And I was like, when I finally did realize, um, it was like a huge, like one of my best friends who's, um, who's gay, he just went, oh, I've known for ages. Like I've known for like five years. Yeah. 
how the hell have you taken this long to realize? Yeah. So it was, it was kind of always kind of a funny thing. But I think if I look back at it, I knew when I was like 14, 15. Sure. It was very early. Oh, I've known since I was like six. Oh, that's good. I've known. I've always known. That's good. Yeah. I mean, like, was it, I think with you, how did you kind of work out you, through your journey? I kind of like looked at it back as a reflection now rather than. Um, I look, my earliest memory, maybe not six. I don't know. I think my earliest memory of being excited by boys, I think I was in year five. So it would have been what, nine or 10. No, was I year five? I, I don't know. I was young. I remember getting excited about a boy and then when I was excited, started thinking about a girl and was con- trying to convince myself that I was excited about the girl, not yeah, yeah. about the boy. Um, and I had girlfriends in high school, yeah, but as beards, not as obviously. I mean, I never had sex with a woman, so yeah, I don't know. What was the question? <laughs> Can I just say that was the greatest answer to a question that was kind of similar to what you answered? Um, no, what was your journey like? Was basically like oh yeah, sure. Look, my journey was I don't know. I I just because you talk about mental hurdles as well, like the, you know that whole trying to convince yourself you were straight or I don't ever I don't look. I've I'm not the sort of person. Um, oh, this could go down a, a right old path. <laughs> Let's okay. Original question, journey. I, I didn't really think too much about it, right? I I think I I knew pretty quickly that I was gay. Um, yeah. I think my first actual sexual experience, I was like 14 and a half, 15. Oh, okay. Um, was quite young. Yeah. Um, we won't go into that either. <laughs> uh, He's lived an interesting said, life. I said nothing was off limits within reason. Um, yes. <laughs> I did ask him. Sexual prior. escapades are within reason, without reason, know, without out of reason, <laughs> not on, not on the table. Abort, abort. <laughs> um. Anyway, so I knew I knew pretty early on, but I, again, I I had a while I while I kind of accepted that I was gay, and I, I wasn't really worried about being gay. I was I was concerned about coming out. Yes. Um. I had a stepfather who was very abusive. Um. Very homophobic. <clears throat> He's the sort of person that when, if the Mardi Gras was on, we were flicking through the television uh, channel and the Mardi and the parade would be on, he would say to the television, oh, I fucking bomb a lot of them. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. the kind of environment that I was growing up with. So I wasn't necessarily concerned about the fact that I was gay, but I was concerned about coming out. The other part of that was, but but there was a part of me that less so now, at the time, there was, uh, for me, a stigma around being effeminate yeah. or being assumed or perceived to be gay. So, again, no shame about being a homosexual, but didn't want to necessarily be perceived as being feminine or obviously gay. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, this is, you know, the late 90s. Yeah. We're, we're in a very different time now. 21st century. You'd, you'd hope. Um, it's, it's funny because, uh, you know, I still hear the phrase tossed around where it's like, you know, you hear in the acting community or you hear in like directors being like, oh, could they be a little less gay? Could you sound a little less gay? 
And it's like, what? You know? Yeah, they say that, and then they cast James fucking Corden as a gay in the in the prom, and then make him be the most horrendously stereotyped version of a gay. Yeah, a gay, <laughs> oh, a gay. But I mean, like, that's kind of always the thing. Whereas Neil Patrick Harris played, you know, Barney on Did, how... didn't come out until after he was cast in, but in yeah, that though. Um, but that's kind of surreal. Because... Now it's like, how did we miss it? <laughs> yeah, I know. But it was like funny watching it and just going. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, in terms of, like, coming out in sort of, like, did you feel, like, once you were out it, and after, like, you could talk to people a bit more openly, like, mm-hmm. now than you could when you were starting acting and doing it? Um, I don't know. It's, it's, I wasn't out for very long before I moved. Right. Okay. So, I, I, I did come out to my mum. Like, my mum was the first person that I probably came out to. Um, and it was in, I think it was like the middle of year 12. And then I did come out to some girlfriends, some, some female friends at school who were very surprised that I was, um, which at the time I was like, great. Uh, (laughs) yeah, who were very surprised that I was. And, and then I finally came out properly, but not until the school formal the after party of the formal where I was drunk on an entire bottle of black Sambuca. Wow. I'd never really been, I'd never really drank properly before. And I don't know why in my head. You go hard or go hard. In my head, I was like, yeah, I like Sambuca. I'll have a whole bottle of that. (laughs) I'll tell you what, the tar vomit that came out later did not (laughs) feel or taste great. Uh, That was a mental image I did not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so... So I didn't really experience any neg- negativity. And, yeah. and like, even at school, like all the guy, like what I, I wasn't, again, wasn't ashamed of being gay, but I didn't want to come out because that over hyper-masculine culture in high school of like, you know, oh yeah, if my friend was gay, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be friends with yeah. him, blah, blah, like that kind of attitude. And then when I came out they're like, oh yeah, no, that's cool. <laughs> it's great. I'm like, well, why couldn't you have made me feel like this during school? Oh. Um... And then I came out and then and then it was fine. And then I was just, oh, it's Danny's guys. Whatever. Yeah. Um, I've never really, I mean, I've been quite fortunate in my life that I've never really experienced any major um, stigma or issues around homosexuality, which is yeah. fantastic. The first time, or the only time that I've really ever experienced, well, there's two times, but the first major time, when I moved to the UK, I moved in with my dad's cousin so my second cousin she's very religious very homophobic um i didn't tell her that i was gay uh, i moved in with her i wasn't really paying rent i mean oh again i told you earlier i moved there when i was 18 first yeah. time i'd moved out of home i was effectively a child yeah moved to the uk moved in with her after three weeks she told me that i needed to move out wow i didn't know anybody um so she was like you know i think i'd like you to move out next week because my sister's coming back and I need to set up the room for her. And I'm like, mm, your sister's not back for another month. I thought I had till December. Uh, actually, it was two months. Um, she's like, yeah, no, I really just want to get the room ready for her. So you have to move out. Now, she didn't explicitly say, you've got to move out because you're gay. But it was very obvious. Yeah. That, that was the reason. Because her, and I think once she realized, like, her entire way that she was with me changed. Yeah. Um, so she kicked me out. Yeah. And I was homeless 
Yeah. So I worked in a pub earning a grand total of £3.75 an hour. Wow. Uh, and I only worked 15 hours a week. And one of the regulars in the bar was a caretaker for a council estate okay. in, in Manchester. And one of the tower blocks had a bunch of derelict bedsits that no one was allowed to live in. And he let me squat in wow. a derelict bedsit until I got on my feet and the council gave me a property, um, which I got. He, he pushed my application up the ladder because he was super kind. But yeah, for a couple of months at the age of 18, when I just moved to the other side of the world, I was homeless squatting in a, um, just in a derelict thing. I mean, I make it sound worse than it was. Like, there was a yeah. mattress in there. He, he put a microwave and a fridge in there for me. Oh, okay. Um, so you got these. <laughs> but, um, but it was still like. Yeah. It was not. It, was, it, was, it wasn't as sleeping rough as sleeping on the street. But it was still sleeping rough. But it was, yeah. Yeah. So, but I mean, to me, I was like, this is so fucking cool. <laughs> this is my first place. <laughs> I've got a bed. I've got a, I've got a mattress. I've got, a, I've got this stuff. I can come and go as I please. Oh, that's great. So to me, it was an adventure. And what I was going to say before, um, before I cut myself off, because you were talking about mental health, I've never really been the sort of person that um, lets myself get to... <laughs> let me rephrase that. I never was the sort of person that let myself get too bogged down in um, mental health stuff. Yeah. So, sure, like most people, I will experience frustration and anger and sadness and and whatever. But I truly believe that we all end up where we are in life um, as a result of as a direct result of decisions that we make. Yeah. So, if something happens to me, I have the power to say, "Okay, well, that happened. Can't fucking change it. Yeah. I'm just going to get on with my life and I'm going to enjoy my life, and that's that's just going to be part of me. Or I can choose the my life is so shit. I need to I need to figure out how I'm going to earn money and get back to Australia because my mum is poor. She doesn't have money to pay for me to get home. Yeah. And I moved to the I moved to the UK with four hundred pound and a suitcase and a pillow. That was really? it. A one way yeah. ticket. So I had no option. Yeah. So you know it was me that chose to to look on the bright side and yeah and and that's kind of how I've always approached a lot of things in my life. Um. So, yeah, from a mental health perspective, I never really got to bog down and stuff. I definitely do experience peaks and troughs and yeah. and whatever. Um, I'll caveat that with the last 12 months during this pandemic. I probably have experienced close to what I would call depression, yeah. um, which I'd never really experienced before. And I'm, uh, I don't want to say I'm still struggling with it, but I definitely... I have experienced a whole range of emotions that I'd never really experienced until the last 12 months. Yeah. Which is different. But I still try to um, remind myself that wherever I end up mentally, physically, emotionally, whatever is a result of decisions that I make. And that is if I decide to wallow in it for four weeks, then I've only got myself to blame yeah. for that. Which is very mature of you, like versus most people who just go, well, it's everyone else's fault. <laughs> Nobody else is responsible for me. No. I'm responsible for me. That's My mum gave up being responsible for me when I move out. Yeah, which is what most parents do. Like, I, I refuse to ask my mum for money. 
and it's just not an option. I would never. No. Um, if I struggle, it's my it's own problem. Um, that's that's very good. Like, but I mean, I was about to say this is very good. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> um, bravo, <laughs> bravo. Um, but I mean, like in terms of all that, you know, you're quite fortunate now, I guess, in that regard, because even though depression and you know and a lot of like struggles and everything like you did go through these kind of leaps and bounds to come out the other side and be like oh i'm still yeah, I've got had some pretty major life events happen yeah. in my life that um and i mean like to be kicked down three weeks after moving to the uk it's like that's even though you you know you say it's like oh look at my own place it's still a kind of like this you know clear sign of mental hurdle to be yeah. like yeah oh okay now i've just got to kind of get through these um this moment i don't i think one thing you could probably say out of this is that you you're very resilient to a lot of what's i guess thrown at you yeah i I am a relatively resilient person yeah for the most part (laughs) for the most part yeah i mean like that's the kind of like what kind of made you because with the podcast and with acting and everything Mm -hmm. like let's go back to kind of like and you have a pretty big social i'm gonna say big social media presence in terms you are the one of the most like out of it, you know, people who I see in my news feed, you will probably you like quite active. Okay, you're very and not in terms of viewership. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> you're just like, what are you talking what, about? What kind of dream are you so like? Basically, you follow three people <laughs> and I post the most. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but no, you do post a lot. You've got like TikTok. You've got all of that kind of like jazzy stuff. What? What? what what okay, this is my question because I don't see the <laughs> yeah, what is the question here? <laughs> it's more of a pers- <laughs> this is more of a personal I don't get TikTok. What oh my God, I love TikTok. <laughs> yeah, oh you... my god, I'm obsessed with TikTok. Why do you love TikTok? It? I actually do have a bit of a following, which is yeah, because nice. because I've seen quite a few bit bits and bobs on your Instagram where mm-hmm. you you know you post stuff and like what kind of got you into that? Um vanity, <laughs> uh <laughs> validation. Uh, I mean, why does anybody really do too much on social media, right? It's, yeah, I know, right? There's a little bit. There's a little bit of it to be like, you know, there's that that insecure part of me that has never gone away of feeling invisible. Yeah. So you like your so that's always self. been part of who I am. Yeah. No matter what. Uh, so there, there is a part of that of you know, I was in a relationship for a long time where, again, even in that relationship, I felt very invisible and not attractive and and whatever. So, yeah. you know. The type of stuff that I post on TikTok and whatever is typically humorous gay content or thirst traps or whatever. <laughs> and that comes with a level of uh, engagement that makes me feel good about myself. I mean, yeah. look, sue me. It, it's God, superficial I... and whatever, but it's fun. But but at the same time, I've it's kind of now got to a point with TikTok specifically where people are messaging me telling me how much they enjoy the content and that it's funny and that it is etc um so that kind of becomes a little bit of a motivation Mm. Um, so it started out as a i want some validation actually no it started out as a little bit of a contest oh okay tiktok specifically so i have a really good friend um and he's like oh my god i've just been like smashing tiktok and i'm trying to get to a thousand followers because i um, once I get to a thousand followers, I can go live and I'm, I'm doing this research so I can try and monetize it and blah, blah, blah. He works in 
<clears throat> business coaching and change management. He's yeah, like, yeah, I want to yeah. be able to see how I can use TikTok for business. Yeah. We, we, went, we went out to, at this point in time, I had 60 followers. Right. Uh, and this was, I think, second week of November last year. Oh, okay. Um, so I hadn't really been doing all that much. And I had 60 followers. He had like 600 followers or 500 followers, something like that. And, he's, and he was like, oh my God, this post's gone viral. I've got 700 views, blah, blah, blah. And he's getting super excited. And then I'm like, in my head, I'm like, I'm going to see if I can beat him to a thousand. And did you? And I did within a week. No. <clears throat> and then it just continued to go. Um, but it's a funny old beast TikTok because... You can get lost in it. Well, A, you can get lost in it. But like, depending on the type of content you... Like, if you if you actually spend time on TikTok, there is a lot of non-PG TikTok. Yes. Or TikTok, as I like to call it. There is a lot of swinging schlongs and dick prints and big booties and... Really? Big male booties and everything. Like, if you can get on gay TikTok... Look, I have like 100 internet crushes. Um, <laughs> it's ridiculous. But... I can post something that is mildly suggestive and humorous, but not at all explicit. Yes. And my stuff will be taken down for breaching community guidelines of sexual what? sexuality and nudity. But then the next thing that comes up in my feed is literally a guy wearing a pair of skins with a 10-inch dick hanging, swinging around. And that's got a 1.5 million views and is wow. still there. What? So now you know why I spend so much time on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, wow. I didn't realize that algorithm was like so off. Oh, the algorithm is very good. <laughs> it knows exactly what I want. It's just a lot of like TikTok. Uh, but, but apart from that, apart from the obvious thirst trapping, um, <laughs> it's just fun. Yeah. Like I can, I can get, I can jump into bed and start scrolling. And, you know, we live in this world, um, this kind of all leads back to resilience and people yeah. not realizing how long it takes to make it, right? Yeah. We live in a, in a world of immediacy. We live in a world where if I want to get somewhere, I can order an Uber and it'll be with me in five minutes. If I'm hungry, I can order food and it'll be with me in five minutes. If I want to see a movie, I don't have to go down to Blockbuster, choose something, bring it back. I can jump on, like, yeah. I can immediately have what I want. Um, and... TikTok is such short form content that you immediately, you've got a new thing, immediately you found yeah. new content, immediately you found a new crush yeah. or, or whatever. And you could just lose yourself because they're either 15 seconds, they're between 15 and 15 and 60 seconds. Yeah. And then you just lose yourself down a hole. And the funniest part of TikTok is like a TikTok will be funny. And then you go straight to the comment section and start reading all of the comments of people making funny remarks. And then the TikTok just gets funnier and funnier because it plays in the background ah. while, you're reading, while you're reading the comments and you can hear it and see part of it. And then like, it'll just get funnier and funnier and funnier and funnier. And then the next thing I know, it's three o'clock in the morning. I'm trying to keep my voice down so I don't wake the dog. And, and I'm lying in bed like, laughing. It's ridiculous. That's like, I can see now. Because it was asked recently, why, you know? Someone came up to me at work and was like, oh, um, you know, what socials do you have? And uh, do you have TikTok? And I said, no, not a chance in hell. And I'm like, I know why, because I'm one of those people who would get immediately hooked on it. Yeah. And I know that I have to keep far away mm -hmm. from it not to get hooked because it is that kind of level of 
you know, as you say, fast, free, approachable um, media. I don't. I feel like Instagram used to be that, but yeah, now it used to be, but now it's TikTok. Yeah, now it's TikTok. Um, but also, but because everybody is on TikTok, and because of the way the platform is designed, yes, it makes it very easy to create. Yeah, like Instagram, you can record directly into Instagram, but it's not as um, flexible with what you can do. No. Whereas though TikTok, you can record straight into it, but you can record in... I used to watch these thinking, how the fuck have they done this weird transition of like multiple costume changes and whatever? Yeah. But in one costume and then back into another costume. And like, are they changing after every single thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you don't need to do that. There is ways within it to record all of one side first and then all of the other side and it puts it together and... And then suddenly... And then you've got this beautifully edited video. Um, so it's very, it's a very cool app and very smart in the yeah. way that it works. Um, but much like any other social media app, um, I, I think maybe less so Facebook, but Instagram and I don't really know what other ones there are. But Snapchat, but that died like... Snapchat's bullshit. <laughs> I do not understand it. And I also do not understand how I just join and all of a sudden every gay around me knows that I'm on TikTok and is sending me n- nude pictures. I'm like, my phone, don't, like, it's not like my number is gay. <laughs> I don't understand. It just says gay next to yeah. it. Yeah. Like everyone's anyway. sexual orientation is right next to their phone number. Maybe. It's just going to be part of the algorithm. Well, you know what? That is probably, the, that is actually probably the reality yes because someone has bought our data and somewhere i've identified as a homosexual man i don't want to say a homosexual uh <laughs> somewhere i've identified myself as a gay man and it's the data is somewhere so obviously that's how it works uh i don't get technology um <laughs> it's just stealing your soul yeah. is what it's doing but my where, where i was going with this is tiktok like instagram yeah can be monetized 100 so if you've got you know 20 30 followers and Colgate are like, here, we'll give you 500 bucks if you do a 30-second video. I'm like, fuck yeah. Give it to me. I could imagine you doing that. I got a free romper. Romper Jack sent me really? a romper. Yeah. Wow. Well, I they put a thing on saying, you know, if anybody's interested in being a TikTok ambassador for Romper Jack, let us know. I messaged and said, hey, look, I've already made a TikTok. I've already posted it. Um, and they go, oh, can you send us the video? We'll send you a free romper. I'm like, yeah, 100%. And they put it on there. Wow. Their own stuff. That's amazing. And now that is my outfit for the Mardi Gras boat party I'm going to on Saturday. Oh. Yes. Um, yes, that's right. It's Mardi Gras around, right around the corner. This episode will not come out when Mardi Gras <laughs> is happening. But Mardi Gras is literally like this. Two days away. Really? Saturday. Yeah. Wow. See, it always goes in a blur to me now because I haven't been in years, which makes me really sound quite sad. But I, I hate crowds. I cannot stand crowds. And Mardi Gras is like one of the most chaotic points. Of yeah. Just a lot of drunk people. I had a lot of bad experiences at Mardi Gras. Sure. Not because of the parade. I love the, love the parade's the best. But it's just the people, the drunk people, less appealing. Yeah. Um, well, fortunately or unfortunately, this year, obviously, we don't have clubs or yeah. anything. There is a parade, but it's contained to a... To Sydney Cricket Ground, ticketed only. Wow. You can watch it on television, but... You know, there's there's not going to be streets full of people. For yeah, which year. which sort of seems a little bit of a sad cel- well, not a sad celebration because we still celebrate. Yeah, but it is a, 
it has been a weird time. It might actually, like, obviously there are parties that are happening. Yes. Um, boat parties and all that kind of stuff. But the parade might actually have an opportunity to um, promote what it's actually there to do. Yes. Now, which is, you know, remember gay history and... yeah. Which I'm a really bad guy. I don't. I don't know much about it. <laughs> but anyway, I'm sure that you know. It you will, heard it here first. <laughs> it will be able to. Maybe people will view it in a different light this yeah. year. Is what I'm trying to say. Very unelo- uneloquently. I think it, it will become less about commercialism and being like, here's A and Z brand, and they're celebrating like gay rights and everything, and be more about like, here's the figures and here's the importance that it was, and here's the yep. historical. Like, you know, the postal vote and all that, um, mm. you know, which I still can't believe the percentage of Australia was like, no. Um, but, you know, everyone, each of themselves. I've met too many people in my life who have just, like, literally chat on people's opinions. And I'm just like, okay, you, you're dead to me now. <laughs> Very selective. Um, but no, I mean, like, that's always, I think, really good because I, I remember the first time I ever went like just also in that kind of culture, I remember um, Mardi Gras several years ago. But like my mom's been part of the parades; she was part of the university parades, yeah. and like they had they had butterfly wings and everything. She sent me photos and was like, "Look how lovely I look!" And I was like, "This is amazing. Please continue to do this." But um, yeah, it's like I would have I would kill to be part of you know a parade um, in that now that I'm older and now that I'm a lot more comfortable with it. Like yeah. it, the little me was less comfortable with the idea. And I think it's taken me a long time to have supportive network of friends and family members and also just to kind of like get past that mental, as you say, hurdle mm. where you kind of just go, oh, okay, this is who I am and I don't listen to all this hate speech and be like, I have to redefine. Because funny thing is with me as well, um, when I'm a sort of particularly feminine um, guy and I remember... Uh, telling partners this and they would just be like, sometimes be like, oh, that's fine. And other times they'll be like, I wish you were more manly. I wish you were a bit more. I don't think you're effeminate at all. Really? No, I, I didn't even know that you identified as queer. Really? I thought you were a Complete. geeky, uh, geeky straight guy. Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> I appreciate that. Because <laughs> that's like, you are probably the only gay guy who has not realized that. <laughs> I appreciate this, but I don't know why. It's sort of just like <laughs> it's not in a good way. It's just the fact that you just completely turned the normal of what everyone else assumed. But um, no, I like. I don't like to assume things about people. I think that's like, good. I don't. I don't anymore associate. Well, actually, that's probably. I was gonna say I don't associate <laughs> a feminist, a feminine with with being gay. But yeah. you know, there you can't you can't wrap people up in a pretty little bow anymore. No. So I don't like to assume. I if somebody wants to tell me that they're queer or whatever they are, then they can do that. Yeah, I think I think that's really true, and it's like um, the only time that I, it's an issue is if I want to fuck, <laughs> and I just want to try and figure out whether you are or not. And you're just like, okay, you know, I've just got to read the room. Let me just open up Grinder. <laughs> are you on here? Um, I always feel like that's kind of the funniest thing because um, one one of my friends who is like gay he just every time i see him he's like oh how do you know this person and how do you know this person i'm like oh i work with them and it's like oh, i've slept with them and i'm like thanks like now that i you know or someone who i've never thought ever was gay and he's like oh no they are i'm like 
And that's always kind of just like, oh, okay, now I know. I think the only other question I do have. Go on, hit me. Because because it goes back to like going, do you think now because of COVID, this was asked to me recently, do you think you would have done the podcast had COVID not happened? Yes. Interesting. I, I'm a notorious procrastinator. <laughs> <laughs> Is this because of the theory? Because <laughs> it explains a lot. <laughs> Uh, I've actually had this idea for this podcast for about three years. Okay. Um, I think maybe... I was really hoping that was just a full stop and that was just like, I've had the idea for three years and that's it. Like... No, no. I had the idea for, for, for ages and I just never really um, took the plunge to do it. Yeah. Um, I also never really take that much time off work because I'm a contractor. If I don't work, I don't... Um, yeah. Whatever. And don't get me wrong, that's not a, a reason not to do something. But over Christmas, I took four and a half weeks off work. I just had time yeah. to do it and lose myself in it and be creative. And and that was it, really. Um, yeah. That was the, the long and short of it. It was just, okay, I'll, I'll do it. I've been talking about it long enough. Now's the time. Yeah. Now, obviously, as I've said, I've lived in the UK for a long yeah. time, never intended to move back to Australia. Okay. I'm convinced that I do not have a look for Australian television. Okay. I, I just, I don't know why this is just the way that I feel. Um, I don't see a lot of bald men yeah. on Australian television. Okay. I don't see a lot of bald men in a lot of, even in a lot of American television, unless... It's a politic, maybe a political drama, or they're black. Yeah. Um, I, I just don't see a lot of that. Um, now this isn't me being like I'm a under underrepresented minority. No. I just think that I don't have the type of look for the type of content that is developed yeah. here. Um, whereas though, I have a very British look. Yes. Which tends to be bald men. <laughs> With beards. <laughs> so I think that I would have more success in the UK um, yeah. if I could get back over there. So I had intended to move to the UK. What prompted this thought was, did you do this because of the, the pandemic? Because of COVID? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I was supposed to move to the UK. Oh, yes. Because I remember you mentioning year. that. Um... That's why I was selling everything in my house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you weren't... Because before... Um... Danny and I um, sort of gave me the styrofoam things that sit in the corner of my room, um, which basically they're just a soundproof room. But yeah, you were selling everything in your place with the intention to move to the UK. Yeah, um, and then COVID kind of. Shrunk. Well, I mean, it was it was kind of pre-COVID anyway, but I was still up until maybe September time. I was still moving in my head in July this year. Yeah. Um, because I just think that I, I think that there would be more. I mean, just in general, there's more opportunity. In yeah, the UK. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there is definitely plenty of opportunity here now, because of COVID. Yes. Um, but before there wasn't, so that was my plan to move to the UK. Um, so COVID has kind of changed a lot of that for me. So, and this is kind of where I was going, not where I was going, but the, my why I've kind of maybe been in somewhere close to a depression. Yeah. During the pandemic, like. The pandemic itself, I haven't really paid too much attention to. 
I mean, don't, sorry, that's a lie. Obviously, I paid attention to it. It's fucking rammed down my in my face constantly. Yeah, don't look um, at socials. <laughs> but, but what I mean is I've not really worried about how it's affected me personally. Yeah. Um, not necessarily concerned if I catch it. Concerned if I was to catch it and pass it on to somebody, but not necessarily worried about my own health. Um, but I was living on the other side of the bridge away from all of my friends. Um, and I... Because of COVID, I kept moving the date to move to the UK back further and further because I'm like, okay, well, I can't go because of COVID, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was living in this kind of like state of, I was living in a future that I couldn't have and I couldn't figure out why I was feeling so miserable. Yeah. That's because I was, re, I, was re, um, I was refusing to do things and live in the moment. Yeah. Um, which I now try to do a little bit more of. In fact, I've probably gone a little bit too to the extreme of the other way, and now all I do is live in the moment. <laughs> That's not a well. I mean, like also didn't. Well, no, you... I'm not saving as much since I moved to Potts Point. Oh, okay. So, but didn't it? But you also with the partial move was because you had had a breakup as well. Oh, look, the... I broke up with the with the partner, um, and in August 2019, and when we broke up, I was like, "That's it, I'm moving to the UK. I'm going." Right. Because we had been talking about moving to the UK for such a long time, right. but I was waiting on his studies and his jobs and whatever else to get there. So as soon as we broke up, I'm like, oh, fuck it, I don't have him holding me back anymore. So I can go, wow. when, I can go when I want. Yeah. Um, but my plan was I'm going to save somewhere between sixty dollars to $100,000 so that I don't have to work in corporate when I get there and I can just immerse myself in the acting world in London. Yeah. Do stuff, not have to worry about earning money. Um, and then COVID. And then... Look at you now. Well, yeah. But now there's, you know, lots of opportunity coming here, which is good. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting. Like for the first time in, since I've been with my agent, I look at a show cast, like I'm just being put up for so many different productions that are coming to us, that are, in, that are filming yeah. in Australia because we don't have COVID. Yeah. So I've had to reass, like for a long time, I was very upset and like annoyed that I wasn't moving to the UK. But the positive of that is there's actually so much opportunity here now that it actually is beneficial to stay. Yes. I 100% agree <clears throat> with that. And we're about to have like five Marvel films. Like, Well, yeah. There's a lot of films being made here. So there's a yep. lot of things that are... You know, I didn't say I was getting auditioned. <laughs> but, I'm a, but, I, but, I, but I've actually for the first time seen dramatic stuff on my show cast which is great before, which is great yeah and that and then i think is the huge change that hopefully mm. the pandemic has created in australia and it also doesn't initially i think i was in a similar boat where it's like if i always move away from australia and it's boring like regime of filmmaking and now all the stuff that i loved is coming here or at least has a technical aspect to it it's like you can apply yourself to more things yeah um australia is not the place of opportunity though i would yeah i'm in a mix of like is it the place of opportunity or is it not? it is currently it's like, how long who knows let's let's hope the pandemic let's stays the, well let's not <laughs> but but no i i do want to finish off with going back to your question um your answer actually in fact about being an actor who's like a bald like because i do i did have a follow-up with that because you made me think mm -hmm. um you because you're going through also like your Instagram and your social media and all that. Um, you are doing you're much more gymming now, you're being much more positive. Can I speak body positive uh -huh. about yourself? And yeah. you're you know, you're very 
conscious of that on social media because mm-hmm. I remember like you, you're you're getting more um, exercise and stuff and looking better and feeling better. Does you think that's also kind of thing that just because it's that whole acting technique of you, once you feel good about yourself, it's easier to kind of throw yourself into the deep end, I guess. Really, I just focus on my body so guys want me. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say... I kind of expected that. Answer. I'm very honest and transparent. Um, no, I mean, obviously there is a element of looking yeah. after myself for to, for screen acting as well. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Obviously a lot of it is so that guys want me, but, <laughs> but, but I am very conscious, very conscious of, of how I will look on scene. Yeah. So, uh, on screen. One of the reasons I took a really long break from acting is back in, God, must have been like 2006, 2007. I was working in a bar in Manchester and I knew, and one of the regulars and someone that I kind of became friends with and hung out with a couple of times yeah. um, was a writer for Hollyoaks. Oh, wow. And okay. sometimes he was like sat on the casting, made casting decisions for Hollyoaks. And he had told me, I, I'd asked him for advice on yeah. acting. And he said to me in no uncertain terms, you'll never make it as an actor. You are too big to be an actor. Wow. You could be a bouncer or a police officer or a a security guard or or, or a cop. Yeah. But you won't make it as an actor. You'll never be a leading actor. Maybe you could do some extra work and that would be okay, but you won't make it as an actor. And that really affected me. Yeah. Um, I joke about, making myself look good for guys. I, I do have a, a, a pretty big hang up about how I look and yeah. um, my physical appearance. And that was a big contributing factor to that. Um, so, and so there's, there's a part of me that focuses on, I guess, health, physical yeah. health, because I don't want to, I was not fat at all. No. I'm just I'm I'm a pretty stocky kind of guy, um, but yeah, that's something that he said, and you know I was I was affected by it again recently. Um, doing a scene in acting class, um, I was doing a scene which I which was hard. It was a scene for Mr. Robot, um, and it was quite a like the the character that I was playing was being was basically being blackmailed because he was running a child sex porn sex. Oh, like, okay. Blah blah. Anyway, so the char- my character was it was quite emotional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, one of the guys had commented because I was, had and said because you know you're a big unit, and that kind of brought back. Wow. And he didn't mean it in a yeah, negative yeah, yeah. way. It was that like the context was actually it was really nice to see you get emotional because because you're a big unit. It's it's unexpected. Yes. To see you go that way. Yeah, I take a lot of pride in my appearance and, and try to work hard to keep myself looking good. But, uh, you know, I, I've probably personally suffered. Suffered's the wrong word. Um, yeah. No, I get, I get... I've gone through my own self-loathing of my own, of my body and whatever. And a lot of that is growing up gay as well, especially now in the world of social media. There's so much... Yeah body perfect people which is not realistic uh in fact i've literally just gone through and unfollowed 1500 yeah which people 
I think is also like something I wanted to ask you about that. Was that just a, how did that come about? What was the decision behind that? Um, effectively, I follow followed a ridiculous amount of torsos, effectively, on mm. Instagram. And it wasn't adding anything to my life. I wasn't seeing things friends were posting. Um, they're not people that I know. They're, just, you know, people that I saw on Grinder and followed or people that someone tagged and they were hot and I followed. And yeah. it's just not... It's not content that is adding anything, adding value to my life. So I just thought, fuck it, I'm going to spend the time and I'm going to go through and I'm going to delete a bunch of people. And the chances are I've deleted people that I didn't mean to um, because it's very difficult to actually see who who you're deleting. Yeah. Uh, You just go through and unfollow. Um, But yeah, I just thought time to curate my feed a little better. I want to see the creative stuff my friends are doing. I want to see the acting stuff that I fo- that I followed because it's acting stuff. Yeah. I want to see the casting calls that the casting agents put out because that's why I followed them. Um so yeah. Yeah, I think I mean like it's interesting that you talk about that as well because it's like um also, you know, I think your own body as well as your own opinion of yourself is so um down to your own self worth. And I think one thing that I talk about constantly in this podcast is like I suffered from anorexia and body dysmorphia. And what a lot of people go, like one of the things I had when people go was like, oh, but you're so skinny, you look fine. It's like, Mm. that's not a healthy way even with anyone, with any condition. You just go kind of leave that opinion at the door because, you know, words hurt. Words have this power that... They so do. And I think as, you know... As creators, we're so susceptible as well because we kind of, as you... you we're s- emotional beings. Well, you said you wear your heart on your sleeve and you're like, oh, you know, I because I do too. And I remember like my mum used to be like, oh, don't wear your heart on your sleeve. Like love. This is the, one of the first things she said on the podcast. Before I started even making the podcast, she was like, are you going to tell everyone, you know, your problems? Like, are you, is that going to be a conversation? I was like... Well, yes. That's what people want to hear. <laughs> they want to hear me be an emotional person, <laughs> yeah. crying into a microphone. I mean, uh, I still have issues. Like, I definitely still have issues. Like, I look at myself in the mirror. Like, I'm going on a boat party for Mardi Gras on, on Saturday, yeah. and I'm like, I just all I see is like the the. Well, that's too fat. That's sticking out too much. That doesn't. Yeah. Work. yeah. Now, if I w- if I say to people, oh, I'm just feeling a bit fat. They're like, your body is really good what are you talking about yeah and i know that objectively in the grand scheme of things i have a pretty pretty decent rig but but that doesn't change my perception of myself no and unfortunately for a lot of people perception is reality yeah and it's hard to kind of break that um but you know that's just something that i'm working on myself to be comfortable in my own skin yeah i think that's like just the process it's yeah. like, and putting yourself out there, like in terms of the acting as well as not just, you know, with the whole um, going to the gym and everything. It does, I've done that. And I think one of the best things I did for myself was just like did a year of gym, did a solid year, had a PT and just did it because I suddenly found a little bit more self-worth in myself. And I was mm-hmm. like, I know I can look good. I know I can do, but it wasn't like I have to look a certain way. Yeah, I was like suddenly just very comfortable in my own skin and less worried about necessarily what anyone else thinks and i think also though um 
it just comes down to, you know, because I'm the same. When I look at myself in the mirror, I'm like, oh, you know, not great. But it's at the end of the day, it's also weirdly about I kind of just remember that there's the people out there who love me for who I am. That's kind of what I have to weirdly remember. Mm. And that easier said than done to people out there who are listening to this. It is much easier said than done. But it does help when, you know, like my, you know, my mom and my dad, and you know, particularly larger people, uh, but they're very, very positive about that. And they don't worry about it and they don't go, this is like, they're not, you know, they eat healthy and everything. They just happen to be bigger people than me. But they're never particularly sort of worried about being like, I have to look a certain way. And I think that's always been something that I think my dad being, being, used to have very big issues about, you know, this whole idea of guys couldn't talk about these things. But when he's, he's got depression and he's on anti, like antidepressants. And now he talks so openly about his mental health and he just goes, you know, I'm going to just going to take half an hour upstairs and just work in my own head and like do my own work. And then I'll come down and chat to you guys. But I just need, he's very aware he needs his own space Mm -hmm. and then we'll come back to the big conversations. But now knowing that love who he is and how he can, relate and talk about it frees up a lot of like weird growing up where this toxic masculinity and this whole idea that guys couldn't feel things and we couldn't express our you know our discomfort with how we look um you know has really changed mm. and hopefully um it, it changes even more because i watch kids now who are you know like 10 years you know younger than me talk so positively about their body and i'm like you know i remember going through high school as well and going no no not a chance in hell everyone was judging each other like um and just yeah the whole idea of this world Mm. now you know and like i think there's only what um 10 years between us i'm like about that i don't know how old are you 92 so when were you born 83 yeah, okay, so nine, ten years ago, and between us, I was like, you can't be that old, you know? Like, I know I said you were 102, but, you know, not that old. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, there's there's that kind of, like, even within that, there's, like, different things that you notice. Every ten years, there's something changes, and the way people approach things changes, but it's still kind of, like, these relevant things where it's, like, these mental hurdles, as we talked about before, they do happen, and it is hopefully something that people do more talk about now that you know with this whole instagram and social media and everything being like such a fucking prominent thing that it's like be who you want to be rather than who everyone else is Mm. because i think what i enjoy about your social media presence is it's also you know you're doing your own set of comedy you're not following it doesn't feel like you're trying to be someone else you're being you and authentic to you and i think that's what i find funny about it because it's you as a genuine person and that's also kind of what I enjoy about your company as well, because you are genuine. And I think it's very different when you don't get that on the other side and you see a lot of people who are trying to be this big thing. And talk. Yeah. it goes back to that whole celebrity thing. We don't want to be like, well, I definitely don't want to be that because I want to be fucking left alone. <laughs> but I think it's nice to be recognized for who we are as the, yeah. the individual cogs as we talk about corporate world where they don't fucking recognize that always. They kind of like the corporate world, they will just replace you in fucking two ticks. Everything is a business. Mm. You you brought that full circle and I love that. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Oh, anytime. Well, th- Danny, can I just say, it's been an absolute fucking pleasure to have you on the podcast. It's actually been it's a delight. It's been nice to be 
on the receiving end of a <laughs> conversation. Do it's you, weird. I'm always on a receiving end of a conversation. Um, but you're being you asked, know what I mean. I mean, <laughs> it's nice to be interrogated instead of, instead of interrogating. We, we like, and where can people find your podcast? Uh, everywhere you get to podcasts. Everywhere <laughs> on every social media. Well, it's... Anchor distributes it. it to everybody. Oh, does it automatically so, do yeah, it? Distributes it to all of them. So. Wow, that's great. Yeah. Um, I just do a simple, I have to link them all. Yeah, it's, no, it's great. Does it all for me. I'll, I'll put it in one spot. It's done out. Uh, but yeah, actors making it on wherever you get podcasts. Uh, but also there is a visual version, actors making it on YouTube. And uh, your Instagram handle? If my, okay. There is an actors making it Instagram, <laughs> but my personal Instagram is Danny J Barton. Yeah. So if you want to find him, go and follow him. It's quite humorous. And go and find his TikTok because that's also... Also Danny J. Barton. <laughs> the list will go on. Um, Everything is Danny J. Barton. Or actors making it. What's that James? James. Oh, okay. Okay. I like that. Because I was like, please don't be J. <laughs> it's like Danny J. And no, it's just the J. Absolutely not. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, but no, this is the Things We Do podcast. And join me next week for another guest. And I will speak to you all later. Bye-bye. <laughs>